Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Boy, if you one of your first times being here or your first time, we're so glad you came. You know, sometimes it's hard to work, walk through the doors of a new place. If you're watching online, uh, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, before I get started, I mentioned this in first service, but I didn't mention it in the second service last week. Back here, you see we're building a new sound booth. So we're going to move the thing from there to here, but it's, we're just in process. It'll be a couple weeks. So what we're going to use that sound booth for is, if you're not paying attention to the sermon, the usher taps you, you just go back there. That's your safe seat. <laughs> so I'm predicting Nate Gotchell, our student pastor, will be the first one in the safe seat. So if you've heard me speak before, you know I, um, at two years old, I got stung by a bee. I don't remember this. And I went into anaphylactic shock, which means my parents had to rush me to the hospital. I needed a shot of adrenaline to bring me back around. And so I was told, watch out for that. And I didn't get stung until I was 24 years old. It was, I was in my last semester of graduate school, and I was laying on my bed. It was finals week, and I, I felt a poke in my back, and I looked, and there's a bee, and I realized I just got stung. So immediately, I'm in a panic, because I'm told you could react quickly. So I go to my roommate. I say, dude, I'm sorry. I know it's finals week. I hate to do this to you, and I give him the whole story. we got to get to the student health center. So we went any way we could. I mean, I think we went the wrong way in one street. Because you know how campuses, they have different ways. We went through a stop sign. We, and, and we got there, and I was out of breath, and I got in there. <sighs> this is what happened. They said, look, if you, re- if you were going to react, you would have reacted by now. You're fine. Sit down. We'll give you a shot. But I'll never forget that five minutes. Like, I have got to get to the student health center. It's desperate. Well, what was going on physically in my life is a picture of us spiritually. We need to get to God. And it needs to happen sooner than later. How do we get there? How do we get there? That's what I want to talk about today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 36 and we'll go all the way through verse 50, wrestling with this question, how do we get to God? Now, as Emily mentioned, we are starting a three-week series focusing on our mission, being Christ in our community. And and basically, I wanted to tell you, what is it about Christ that we're so compelled to feel like we've got to get out there? Well, if you've read the Gospels, uh, Jesus kind of defied the expectations of the religious leaders. He was gracious. He was merciful. He was kind. And and that's all throughout the Gospels. And this morning, I've picked one passage where I think those characteristics show through. So we start in verse 36 with this. It says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, if you've been with us, you know we have a first Sunday lunch every month. And that's not to feed people so much. It's so people can connect. A meal is a place to connect. Well, that was really true in the Middle East. If you're invited for a meal, you're invited for a relationship. The question is, at this point, Jesus already has an adversarial relationship with the Pharisees. They're suspicious of him. He's threatening them. So why does Simon invite Jesus for a meal? What's his his agenda? We don't know. Because there's an unexpected guest who shows up. Verse 37 and 38. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with his tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. He just shows up. 
She wasn't on the invite list. And all we know is she's a sinner. I think there's a reason Luke is vague about that. We'll talk about that later. Probably a prostitute, but we don't know. But, but she's covered in shame. And she shows up crying. Again, why is she crying? I don't know. I wonder if for the first time she's found a spiritual leader who she's heard will accept her who won't run her off. She's been on the margins, detested, ignored, and all of a sudden with Jesus, she's heard. She can find acceptance. However, there's one who's not pleased she's there. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Mm-mm-mm. if this man, Jesus, were really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Sinner. Here's the problem when you're with Jesus. See, if, if you can think, like, if you think, man, this, this sermon's really slow, I, I can't read your mind. I don't know that, okay? But you, you get around Jesus and you think something, he can read your mind. Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. Why is Simon thinking this? Why is the Pharisee thinking this way? Well, the Pharisees were an influential group, and, and they were good at being good. So the Jewish law had 640 precepts, other things, and I mean, they kept them all. And their system was, you got to God by being good. So you guys in the front row, you're, you're, you're pretty good, so you're close. You schlocks in the back, you stay back there because you're sinners. You stay away. Well, this woman is a back row woman, and she has no place being in his presence or Jesus if he were a real prophet in Jesus' presence. Jesus doesn't think that way about this sinner. Listen, Jesus never condones, never condones what the sinner does. Neither does he call it out. He's just wanting to build a relationship with her. And by the way, this is, this is not an outlier. This is Jesus' M.O. The religious leaders got upset with him because he said he's a friend of sinners. We got four Gospels. One of them was, the first one was written by Matthew. Matthew, before he came to Jesus, was a tax collector. Tax collectors collectors were sellouts of the worst kind. They worked for the Roman government and they, they were hated. They were on the margins of society. And Matthew found a Savior who loved him. As seminary prof said, I don't think Matthew ever got over the fact that Jesus loved him. Now, there are a couple times when, when Jesus did correct sinners, but only when the relationship was established when it was clear that Jesus loved him. An example, a woman was caught in adultery, and the leaders of the Pharisees brought him to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know what the law says, adulterous got to be stoned. He said, okay. Um, and he's looking down, he said, hey, uh, one, one, one of you who is without sin, let, let him throw the first stone. Well, they all dropped their stones, and they walked away. And Jesus says to the lady, where are those who condemn you? And she said, they left. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. He calls her to a different kind of lifestyle, but only after it's understood, I don't condemn you. 
I'm for you. I just called off the people who wanted to stone you. Another case, there's a guy, he's a paralytic, and Jesus says, what's, what's the deal? And the guy said, I'm really frustrated. Every once in a while, the water stirs, and the first one in there gets healed, and, and I, I'm, I'm paralyzed. I, I, can't, I can't get in there. Jesus said, tell you what, we're going we're gonna to go right around that. Why don't you just pick up your pallet and walk? And the guy does. Later, Jesus finds him and says, hey, hey careful, uh, don't sin anymore that something worse might not happen to you. So he corrects him, but only in the context of, I've got a relationship with you, I love you. Jesus was welcoming. So sinners felt safe around Jesus. Do sinners feel safe around us? Would they say they're welcomed by us? I hope so. I hope it's true of us individually. I hope it's true of us corporately. So Jesus is, is he's not accepted. Simon's, the Pharisee's value system. He's got another value system. He's going to put it out in, in the form of a, of a parable. Here's what he says, verse 40. And Jesus answered him saying, Simon, 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 I have something to say to you. And he, Simon replied, say it, say it, teacher. Jesus said, hey, a money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Now, you can't miss it. The 500 denarii sinner in this is the woman. Man, she's got issues. She's got issues, issues, issues. She's covered in shame. Simon's the, the 50 denarii sinner. He said, I, I, forgive them both. Who will love more? Well, Simon answers the question, verse 43. Simon answers, I said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Ding, 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 ding. Simon, you're right. You're right. And he wanted to be wrong. Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. Why? Because Jesus is putting the sinner as the hero of this and Simon, the lesser sinner, is in a lesser place. She loved more. What's the point? We're all in God's debt. You know, and maybe you live a better life than me, and I live a better life than you, and, and, but Jesus, it doesn't matter. The, the, the standard's perfection. So if we're sitting here and, and we do a, a standing high jump, and you've got me beat by a foot on a volleyball court where the net is seven feet, four inches high if you're women, seven feet, 11 inches high if you're male. That, that's big. That, that foot makes a big difference. But if the goal is to jump to the moon, which is 200,000 miles away, 5,200 feet per mile, a billion feet away, that, that foot, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mathematically, it's negligible. Yeah, your life might be a little bit of mine, mine might be a little bit of yours, but before God, that, that difference is negligible. You and I, you know what we got in common? We're all God's debtors. We're all in debt to God, all in need for his forgiveness. So Jesus is saying, Simon, your value system, your way, it's out. Before he clarifies the correct way, he's going to expose Simon's hypocrisy. Here we go, verses 44 to 46. It says, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and gave you, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
It was common in, in the Middle East as a courtesy, dusty roads, hey, do you need some water for your feet? It'd be like, you showed up at my house, can I get you a glass of water? Do you say, hey, 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 Simon, she offered me a glass of water. You didn't offer me anything. There's more. Verse 45. You gave me no kiss, but she, since I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. That, that, that was the way you greeted in the Middle East. That's the way we did in Latin America. You touched teeth, kissed the air. Here we do a handshake. Good to, good to see you. You didn't even greet me, Simon. She hasn't stopped greeting me. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. We're talking common courtesies, common kindnesses. Simon, you dropped the ball. You haven't done jack. And she's shown herself to be a lot more welcoming, warm, loving. Why is that? Why is that? I think Simon's pretty arrogant, pretty proud. He's kept all these things, and it's caused him to look down his nose at people like you and you and you who don't keep up. The woman, she's broken, man. She's made a wreck of her life. And God said, that's okay. Man, and her heart pours out to other people. So how? We still haven't answered the question, how do we get to God? Well, here we go. Verse 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, just, just so we're clear here, your, she looks right at her, your sins have been forgiven. Nah, this fires up the Bible police. In verse 49, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, whoa, who is this man who even forgives sins? Because you know what they understand? Only God can forgive sins. They're, they're doing, their minds are working. This guy's acquainting himself with God? Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. Just to clarify, verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me take that apart. Your faith. Faith always has to have an object. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. You and I lived in rebellion. We said, God, you go your way, I'll go mine. And that, the Bible calls that sin. That's an eternity separated from God. Jesus came and lived the life we we're supposed to live. Full submission to the Father, in a mockery of a trial, he's convicted, term in quotes, crucified on a Friday, certified dead, put in a tomb, Sunday he comes back, according to the plan of God. That sacrifice was for you, and it was for me, that our sin would be forgiven. Your faith in Jesus has saved you from what? Saved you from an eternity separated from God. That's what it saved you from. Remember me? 40 years ago, gotta get to the, man, I gotta get to the student house center. Come on, let's go, go, go. Gotta get, how, how do we get to God? Here's what it say. Faith in Jesus gets us to God. Faith in Jesus gets us to God. Guys, this is why we're so big on Jesus. Be Christ in our community. Why? Because he's the only redeemer. He's the only restorer. He's the only one that can bring you back to God. Years ago, our family had a wreck, and the front end of our car got pushed in. I had a friend who did body work. He said, yeah, Andy, we can fix that. I, I thought, You're, you got to be. You, no, no, you can't. Yeah, bring it in, we'll, we'll, and insurance cover. obviously had to pay, but I couldn't believe it. They restored this car like new. Do you understand Jesus can restore your heart like new, just like they did that in that car? Only, only Jesus, though. Ain't no politician, ain't no musician, and no, and no, 
Only Jesus. That's why we're so big on Jesus. As church staff, we are people who have had an encounter with Jesus. And he's changed our life. And we want to lead people to fall in love with Jesus. That they may be like this woman, understand and be so overwhelmed, so overcome with his goodness that they go out and they talk to people about Jesus and tell them, let me, anybody who listen. So Lindsay Harms leads kids' classes. Why? To help these kids fall in love with Jesus. Nate leads a student ministry among middle schoolers and high school. Why? That these kids would fall in love with Jesus. Jared leads skills classes. Why? To direct people to Jesus. Blake sits up here and leads worship. Not because he's, he's not doing a concert. He's not singing. He's hoping that his team will stir your heart to fall in love with Jesus. These sermons, I, 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 would they? push you to fall in love with Jesus. You give that allows us to do that. And then we, our hope is we would go into our community and represent this Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. I want you out there, but I want you with a different value system. But you know what? We realize there's people outside our, our spheres of influence so we have a benevolent ministry that ministers in our community. We're working at North Star High School, and we've started at Northwest, little by little. Let me give you one snapshot. A couple weeks ago, Jared was over there, and the lady said, hey, man, we've had a funding source come, come off, and, and you know, we have a family, and they're about to get their electricity turned off. Can you help? Jared said, yeah, I think we can. And the social worker said, man, I can't believe you'd do that. Oh, there's a reason. We were received by a Jesus that we had no business being received by. We want to incarnate this love in our community. And then we want to take it around the world. Many of you know we're investing in students in Turkana. We had a team go there, Turkana, Kenya. They haven't had rain in two years in that place. But you and I, us, are sponsoring 20 students so they can go to school that maybe they might be able to move life forward. Right now, we're looking at possibly linking with some people in, in Mexico, an orphanage, again, taking care of the vulnerable. Looking at possibly planting churches in Poland because we want this message to go forward. And by the way, that church is dealing with Ukrainian refugees who are coming across the border. All of this takes time and money. And what I'm going to ask you to do over the next three weeks is consider investing yourself your time and your money in this mission. When I was in college, I had been a Christian a couple years, and I had a mentor tell me, he said, Andy, you want to tell me, I want to know about somebody's priorities, let me see two things. Let me see their date book. Okay, this is before the phone, so when you had an appointment, you got your date timer out, and you wrote it down. Let me see your date book, and let me see your checkbook, and I will tell you your priorities. So we're asking for your heart, would you consider giving yourself financially and personally to this vision. Well, next week I'll talk about finances. The second week from now I'll talk about uh, investing yourself in ministering. To do this takes time and money. Now here's the deal. There's going to be no follow-up call. There's going to be no card. There's going to be nobody checking on you. Did, did you do it? This is between you and the Lord. Here's the, the QR codes. 
Those will take you, if you click on them, to our serve and give tabs on our, our webpage. But again, no one's following. Nobody on the staff knows who gives. I don't know. Nobody. There's a treasurer and a bookkeeper. Who knows? So no one's going to be checking on this. But we're asking, would you consider this? Investing yourself. Why? Because we think Jesus matters. We think there's no one else like him. A redeemer and a restorer like Jesus. Before I close, I want to ask you to locate yourself in this passage in relation to Jesus. And I want to look at the two main uh, characters. One is, is the woman. She brought herself before Jesus. She got down on her knees and she cried and she wept and she anointed his feet because she was a broken woman. And she realized she could find acceptance. Do you need in some way of your life to come before Jesus and be broken? Here's the good news. He won't turn you away. He won't even call your sin out immediately. <laughs> He'll seek to love you, to know you're not condemned, and then to gently change your life and to change your values and change your priorities. If you've never trusted Christ, maybe today's the day. Maybe this is a part of your life. It's your job or you, you, your temper or your, I, I don't know what it is. Could you bring that before God broken like this woman and let him do a work of restoration like he did in her life? Then there's Simon, right? And Simon said, this woman, she don't need to be here. She got to get together before she comes here. I wonder if there's sinners in your life you think, mm -mm, they can't be here. They, 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 you, those people need to stay away. Maybe it's somebody's politics. Maybe it's their lifestyle. Maybe it's their ethnicity. Maybe it's their socioeconomic background. I don't know what it is. But does God need to do a work in your heart? Because you're saying, not that person. Jesus said, yeah, yeah, that person. You need to love that person. You need to build a relationship with that person because they matter to me. And no one is out the, outside the redeeming, redeeming, restoring grace of God. Jim Marshall played in the National Football League for 18 years, 1961 to 1979. He holds the record for the most games of a position player played in a row. He was an Ironman, 282 games. He was an All-Pro a couple of different years, famous on the Minnesota Vikings, Purple Peter, People Eaters defensive line. You know what he's most known for? Whoops, almost kicked the stand over. For kicking the music stand over under the third. No. Um, October 25th, 1964, the Vikings were playing... The 49ers and uh, pass to the 49er tight end. Somebody tackles him and he fumbles the ball. And Marshall picks it up and starts running the wrong way. And he's going 65 yards. And he's, he's a defensive lineman. You don't score as a defensive lineman. He's going to score. The 49er player is kind of like, dude, knock yourself out. Go for it. There's a Viking player trying to run down, but he can't catch him. And Marshall crosses the goal line, and he throws the ball in celebration, out of bounds, so that seals that he has just scored two points for the other team when he thought he was scoring seven for his own. I'm wondering, are you running in the wrong way with your relationship with God? You think if I work hard enough and I'm good enough and I this and that and you better work and you better this and you better that, you, that God will... God's calling us to faith. 
of brokenness. I can't do it. <laughs> Jesus majors in those kind of people. Would you bring yourself to Jesus? How do we get to God? Faith in Jesus gets us to God. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that our faith does make all the difference in the world. A woman who had no business being in your presence is welcome to your presence. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.